it, I felt like I was evolving as a person a little bit as a result of that. You know, like I, like we said, Greg and I always had a good relationship. Um, we always had a, a pretty healthy sex life, but all of a sudden, everything felt to me like, like life felt like it kind of, it, it like it was on steroids. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only, or at least we try. (laughs) Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists and that you should consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 64. We're Finn and Emma. And today we have an interview with Molly and Greg. Yes, we do. A couple of... I'm excited. I see. (laughs) A couple of quick notes about this week's show before we get into the interview. Uh, the first one is, uh, as we mentioned last week, we, we have a couple more episodes with goofy audio. This one is actually quite good. Other than like the first minute and a half, it w- it got a little robot-y. Okay. And yeah. we just turned off our video and then it was perfect for the most part. So if, you're, if you start listening, you're like, ugh. But then if you just give it a minute, it'll be fine. So... We did, however, just go back and shorten our little intro, so yeah. that's going to help out, right? How'd you like that intro? <laughs> All you people who skip over it, you only have to hit the next button twice now I know. instead of like five times. Sorry about that. <laughs> We're learning. All right, where are we going in 16 days-ish? Yeah, we will be at Atlanta Poly Weekend, June 7th through the 9th. In Atlanta. Clever. It's not clever, it's a- <laughs> It's a fact. So we've got a little booth, a little table, probably, and we're going to be giving away some free swag. Yes, we have actually got um, samples from My One Condom and Uberlube. Yeah, so we got some cool stuff to give away, and we will be doing that. And we'll also be mingling around, hanging out with the common folk. Yeah, I won't say that again. No, that's not that's not okay. <laughs> We're definitely just We're common people. folk too. We don't even have special shirts. So. <laughs> okay. This is just going down. We're going downhill. So we let's see, there was something else we want to tell them about. Oh, a website. We yes. learned about a new website when we were in Florida hanging out with the Sapphic Swingers a couple of weeks ago. Yes, it's called freestdcheck.org. So this is part of the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, and it is a free STD testing. Yeah, so from what we're able to tell, looks like they're spread out across major U.S. cities, uh, maybe about 20 or 30 cities across the U.S. And I went out and read some of the Google reviews about the different locations, but basically it sounds like you can go and get a full panel of STD testing. Uh, the waits might be long, but I mean, if it's free and you're there and and that makes the most sense, it's something that we wanted to put out there uh, so people knew to check it out. Yeah, it's definitely a resource that we hope people will try out. If you don't happen to live near one of those, you can still get $10 off at stdcheck.com. That's not free, stdcheck.org, but stdcheck.com. Last week, we told you a little bit about our story about using it for the first time, which was awesome. 
we'll tell you that story again, not today, but some other time. <laughs> but we did want to put a call out there. Yes. If you have recently, or actually any time, gotten STD or gotten tested for STDs and would like to share well, your story If you've with used us. our link, if you've used STD check. Yes. That's what you're trying to say. Yes. We was, want to hear I your was experience. getting there. I know, but they don't have all day. We shortened the intro, and now we've done this for like a You're month. You're the one blabbering on. True. If you've used the links and you loved it, or even if you didn't love it, we'd love to hear what you have to say about it. So go to the website, use the little button that says, leave us a voicemail. Yes. Leave us a voicemail and let us tell other people about the awesomeness so more people get tested. Right. Let us know how it works. And if you use freestdcheck.org, also let us know how that is because... We would love to keep promoting that. That's a kick-ass resource. Yes. As a quick reminder, you can find us on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com or nnmpodcast.com, and you can reach out to us on the contact page there. And all the resources are on the resource page, and I will... And all the episodes are on the episode page. There's not an episode page. (laughs) Maybe you should check out the website. I know. I'm just being funny. (laughs) Because that's not my role on this podcast. I don't know if it's my role either. (laughs) Anyway, my role is apparently to interrupt you, so I'm sorry. Next week, I won't interrupt you. Okay, we need to get on to the interview. Let's go. Well, I guess thank you both for taking some time out of your evening and yeah. sitting down with us, Greg and Greg and Molly. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. making sure we got the names right again. <laughs> Don't we've, gone, we've gone through some iterations, so we're we're <laughs> arrived at Greg and Molly. So thank you. No problem. Um, for anybody, including us, because we don't really know much about you at all, do you mind just sharing a little bit of background on who each of you is and and where you're at? And your relationship dynamic. So uh, Greg and I are both 44. Uh, we've been married for 19 years. We've been together for about 24. Uh, we have two kids together. We have been... Uh, non-monogamous for about two and a half years, uh, getting close, I guess, to three. Uh, Greg is a contractor, and I am currently a stay-at-home mom. Um, I'm retired, <laughs> not, a, not 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 necessarily permanently, but I am taking a break from a, a stressful healthcare career that I had that spanned about uh, 19, 18, 19 years. What else? Um, our dynamic, uh, we opened up, and right now I see myself more as polyamorous, and she sees herself more as open. I have, we have a girlfriend, but it's my girlfriend, and it's it's a little complicated in that aspect. Well, we share her. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we each have our own relationship with with her as well. Yeah. Very interesting. So. Yeah, I guess, how did you wind up coming to being, one of you being poly, one of you being open? And Well, I guess even back a little bit further, did you, had, throughout your relationship, had you ever had discussions about non-monogamy or your relationship style? Uh, no, we didn't. Um, and, and now I say, so I'll answer, I'll answer kind of, kind of both questions from my perspective. I, looking back over my history or my life at this, at this point, I realized that I was likely always a, not a monogamous person. Greg was the first partner that I had that I didn't cheat on. Um, and I really always just felt like that was because he was worth it. As far as my answer to uh, being leaning more towards open or non-monogamous than poly, 
I've been through different, you know, I guess, um, ups and downs with that. And I, in, um, June of last year, I had a very, very difficult breakup with a boyfriend. Um, and at that time I identified more as polyamorous and that was a very deep relationship and it was crushing for me when it ended. Um, I really felt like I suffered from that. And I think I've pulled away from those type of deep emotional relationships as a result of that. So I can't say that I won't evolve into more of a polydynamic with the right partner at the right time. But now for me being open and having more, I guess maybe casual relationships has been working for me. I don't want to imply that cat by casual, I mean, you know, stranger sex or, or casual sex. My, my relationships, I just essentially lowered the expectations of an emotional connection and I have regular partners, but those relationships are more, uh, I guess, rooted in in play than they are in deep emotional, amorous feelings. Sure. And and I'm curious. Um, so it, it sounds like for the better part of twenty plus years, you were you were monogamous together, but you struggled with the non with with being faithful before that. Were were you the one, Molly, that brought it up originally to to Greg about possibly opening it up? And I guess how how did you how did you two arrive there? Hmm. Yeah. So yes, you're absolutely correct. And uh, it's, it was kind of interesting. I never. It wasn't something that I necessarily could say that I struggled with so much as it was just sort of always like a nagging kind of thing in the back of my mind. I would have, uh, I remember always having work crushes. I was always like, there was always someone at work who was like catching my eye that I would sort of like entertain fantasies, so to speak, that I just never acted on. Uh, and then in the summer of 2016, Greg and I were having a conversation about porn and we were just talking about, you know, oh, I've been watching, looking at this, looking at that. And he told me, about a website that he was on that he was enjoying some fun pictures and uh, there was an element of BDSM and we always have been kinky together. We've always explored kinks and some fetishes and such in the, in the bedroom. So he was uh, having a great time on this website, which I ended up joining and it turned out to be a social media website. So not too long after that, I was getting messages from people and there was one that I responded to and ended up forming a a somewhat of a connection to this person. So soon after that, I asked Greg how he felt about me having an online relationship. And he didn't necessarily even, I'll let let you speak to that. Yeah, I was like, sure. Yeah, it's online. He's in Kansas. What could happen? And uh, boy, was I, uh, yeah, I was wrong on that one for sure. I. I was very monogamous and I'd never even thought of being non-monogamous. So when she said, could I have an online relationship? I was like, um, okay, this isn't going to go anywhere, but it, it, he was uh, in an open relationship. So that sparked the interest for her in having an open relationship. And that relationship, while it was online, ended up being a a pretty deep and meaningful relationship. That's someone who's still very much a part of my life now, two and a half years later. Um, And uh, that, I guess it sparked some controversy in our marriage and a lot of discussion. And um, that person 
encouraged us. He was part of his local kink community, and he encouraged us to get out of out from behind the computer and um, go to munches in our area and meet people in the kink community, which we did. And it wasn't too long after that where we started just having further discussions. Like Greg said, it, I, I, I at that point had gained an interest in open marriage and. Uh, I'll, I'll let you kind of take it from there. Yeah, well, um, yeah, she brought it up to me about opening the marriage, and I was like, no, no, nope, not happening. <laughs> it was like, no, but uh, it kind of, we opened it up very slowly, and it took months of discussions and talks and being honest, and and it was hard for me. Like, it, my mind was so messed up for a while, like, in in. Like it was just really, really hard. But then in the back of my mind, I'm like, "Whoa, I get to date other women, huh? Hmm. That kind of sounds good. But then she gets to date other men. So it wrestled in my mind for a while. Well, and then you met a very special girl, Mm -hmm. um, who was, who was willing to move slowly through these. So what we, what we did essentially was we wrote a contract and the contract started with you know, basically we could, we could kiss, we could hold hands. There was a uh, min- very minimal, um, sexual contact and there was no actual sex and it limited the number of, of dates that we could have a month. And, uh, the, the girl who Greg connected with, um, was very patient and she, um, she, she went through those steps with him and, uh, eventually the contract slowly opened to where it, um, you know, included, included sex. And, uh, at this point now, about two years after we wrote that contract, that contract doesn't exist anymore, except in terms of, uh, some of the rules still, I guess, apply, but, um, we did that to, to protect what we had. And we did because 19 years is a long time to be monogamous. And we've always had a, a very good, solid relationship that always felt very much like a lot to lose, like a lot to risk. And we didn't want to put our relationship in danger. So as those rules opened up, we would stop and evaluate, you know, is, 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 adding in this rule going to, how is this going to affect us as a couple? And I think what we, what we found and what was so fascinating to us was that our primary relationship, the relationship between the two of us just kept getting better. Yeah. It was was amazing. It just, we had more sex, we had more talks. So the more we communicated, the better our relationship got. And even the tough communications was really helpful in growing our, our, uh, our relationship. It was amazing. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's amazing to hear. I'm curious on your side, Greg, you, you said that you wrestled with it for a long time about like, Oh, I get to experience other women, but then she's going to experience other men. And you, you went back and forth. What, where was the, the tipping point for you that you were like, okay, yeah, no, let's let's go for it and and see what we can make out of it? I, I, I think we started, I struggled at the beginning a lot because we were trying to do it online. I was trying to meet women online, and I'm not a good texter communicator. I'm more of a people person and face. And so I was struggling mightily and her on Molly on FetLife, 
she, uh, I mean, instantly there's 30 messages in her inbox and I'm like, what's wrong with me? You know, but that's just how that life is. So it took me a little while. And I, I remember one time I asked her, I go, could you just take a step back and wait for me to catch you catch up to you? And she did. She was like, okay, I'm going to wait patient. And it was, it was amazing of her to slow down going out or slow down all this stuff to wait for me. And I think the turning point was walking into the munch for the first time and uh, seeing the attention that I got from live people. And, and that's where I met my first girlfriend. So I think that was the tipping point was actually seeing the fruits of, of all this pay off a little bit and getting some attention and having possibilities for me. Yeah. Do you think it was mostly like jealousy? Yeah, I, I was jealous for sure. I remember the first time she said that she thought she was falling in love. I, I lost it. Like, I mean, that was a long night. That was, uh, I don't even think I slept. So it was really, really tough for me, the feelings, but again, lots of hard conversations and open conversations and being honest with each other, work through those. And I realized that fear, it was just a fear based and, and our relationship was so good that I really didn't have anything to fear. So I think it was a little bit of jealousy and a little bit of fear was my biggest problems. Yeah. The day after that, that, that was, a, that, that's what I really remember as the turning point that night was, I guess it, in a way it was scary, I guess, for Greg to hear, you know, that I'm falling, I, that I'm attracted to someone else. And I, I had tried to convince him that that wasn't going to detract from my attraction to him. Uh, but that was, that was a hard, that was a hard argument. And I, re- I'll never remember, I'll never forget the the next day when we had lunch, we sat down at lunch together and he said, I'm going to let you, I'm going to ha- let you have this relationship. And I always felt like it was a leap of faith. He took, Greg took a leap of faith that day and said, I'm going to let you do this and I'm going to see what happens. I'm scared, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I love you. And I can tell that this is what you want. And that at this point we had already started, I guess, to unlock at least, if not open Pandora's box. And I think he knew that at that point, turning back wasn't going to be healthy either. Right. I'm curious on, on your end, Molly. So, I mean, it's, it's one, one thing to be the person who, who has their partner come to them and say, I'm falling in love with somebody else. But I imagine on your end too, it was, it was a scary lead up in the the weeks prior to that, like for you knowing that, that this was happening, that you had to, to broach this subject with your husband. And I guess, can you take us through that? Like how, how was that for you? And what, how did you come to that? And, and then having that conversation. I guess I rem- what I remember and, and knowing what I know now and then looking backwards at that was I felt this overwhelming feeling that I had never felt before that now I recognize as NRE or new relationship energy. And that felt so good to me. And it, I felt like I was evolving as a person a little bit as a result of that. You know, like I, like we said, Greg and I always had a good relationship um, we always had a, a pretty healthy sex life, but all of a sudden everything felt to me like, like life felt like it kind of 
it, it like it was on steroids. And, and I think that as much as I talked about the feelings, I think I demonstrated that it was healthy, that I was still paying, I, I was still giving Greg what he needed. I was still paying attention to him. I was still every bit as attracted. And there were times where I remember just feeling so overwhelmed with gratitude that he was letting me do, that he was letting me explore these things at all. I really felt like most most humans, most men would say, absolutely not. Like this isn't even, this isn't up for discussion. This is absolutely not going to happen. And so every tiny little thing that we would talk about or every little step that we took, he was so open and so understanding. And sometimes there was a major backslide, like things would be really good for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden something would maybe trigger him. And, and it was, it was, it was fear, which we didn't necessarily recognize then, but I don't, I didn't have a lot of trepidation. I was more, I was so excited that I think I just spilled that over onto him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And was there a point through this that either of you were like, okay, this is, this isn't going to work. We need to just close it back up and go, go back to the way it was. I think that I probably said that a couple times, um, that I wanted to just stop this. Like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Let's not do this. But I think like she said, once we kind of, she wanted that. And I think I kind of knew that there was no turning back to keep our relationship good. I, I just knew that there was no turning back, I, I guess is what it was. And, and I wanted to end it a couple of times, but I just kept believing in what she was saying. And, and once I finally started feeling that NRE, like, like she said, and that's when I think the turning point was for me and us. And that's when we started to blossom with, with being non-monogamous. So yeah, there's been a few times, there's been a few big fights where there's been a uh, yeah, let's end this. And then later we're like, no, let's not. <laughs> well, and it was after, after 19 years, you're not used to dealing with rejection either. And that, that, that I, I remember as a, a, a little bit of a difficult thing on both of our ends, on both of our sides, I, 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 uh, I started to realize that, wow, rejection is really tough, but then I had, it wasn't just another fear to overcome, but I remember one, there's one specific episode that comes to my mind where Greg felt rejected. And I think that made him say, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like this is hard feeling this, you know, this, I I had this one play partner that I was so excited about and I was, you know, she was, she was, I felt all this NRE and everything felt great. And then all of a sudden she's going in a different direction. And that was just, it was, it, it was devastating but I think that in the way that, and, and I, I rem- and then something else happened on my end. I don't remember what and next thing, you know, we're in this, you know, world war two fight. And, but when the dust settled, I think we realized that we could overcome all those things. We could overcome the rejection. We could keep our relationship strong and we could move forward together, regardless of what happened with our other partners. It, they were just learning experiences, like a series of them. And it sounds like it was a long process for you two to work through, but once you got to a place where you worked through a lot of that, it's, I'm sure there's still bumps in the road, right? But it sounds like you have figured out what works best for your relationship. 
Yes, for sure. We have, um, the first I'd say six months to a year was tough. And then we started I, I, getting rid of things on the contract and allowing us to play more and do more and, and going to play parties with our other play partners and, and playing all together and just the, the fun and, and, and the excitement and our relationship, like our sex life, I think probably a year and a half into it had was just through the charts. Like we, we just couldn't keep our hands off each other. And, and, and it seemed like that was fueled by all the NRE and the, the gratitude towards each other. And we, yes, there are still bumps in the road. We still have our little fights about things, but we, 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 it's really good now. I mean, it's, and I think we've learned a series of essentially their exercises that help us get through rough patches. One of them that comes to mind that we always fall back on is love is infinite time and energy are not. And that's something we heard early on in our, uh, either kink or poly. I, I, I don't remember now which, which podcast we were listening to at the time that taught us that concept. And so we, we remind each other and we might remind ourselves, he, he, Greg can love his girlfriend or girlfriends, depending on the situation. And I can love my girlfriends and boyfriends, um, an, an infinite amount. There's, there's no, there's no bucket of love where you're pulling, have to grab from one person to give it to another energy and time though are very different. And so we've gotten very protective of each other's time and our own time. And that's, I think one of the things that we've learned to really manage is who's getting what time, where are we investing our time? And then we're very also protective of our, uh, of our own energy. If I'm giving, if someone's getting too much negative energy from me, there's a problem. And, and I, 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 I don't, I don't let that happen for very long before whatever is, is causing that negativity is, is, is eliminated. Um, and that, that, that's been really helpful. I think that concept. Yeah. One, one thing I was curious on that, and I think it's maybe something that's easy to conflate and, and, and something that I think maybe we would even struggle with is the, the idea that, 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 yeah, love is infinite and the time and energy are not, but that, it's easy to see your partner spending more and more time with somebody and slip back into that mindset of, well, they're spending more time with them. They love them more than me. And I guess how do the two of you handle that sort of that mentality of somebody's love for somebody else is better or stronger than it is for you and and working through, through those feelings. Uh I think what what I've tried to do because that that has been a, a little bit of a struggle. So there's two different ways that I, that I personally handle it. I, I try I've tried to own that um, to to own the concept that he can he can love anyone as much as he wants and he can love me as much as he wants and it one's not going to take away from the other and I I remind myself of that. The time has been I guess historically my trigger. If I feel like someone's getting too much of Greg's time or even too much of my time, to be honest, then I, we evaluate that. And what we've started doing is keeping a paper calendar 
uh, and we mark it with what we call poly days and uh, we count them at the end of the month and we evaluate at the end of each month, we take a look and we say, okay, how many poly days were there? And I, I we keep a little bit of a tally throughout the month, of course, to see, are we going in a direction to where we're not getting enough time? together. So, and then we, we look at the, the poly time that we spent apart where I'm with one partner and he's with another partner at the time that we spend together where maybe we're both with our girlfriend or we're with another couple. Uh, and we, so we, we, it's, it's actually like a, just a mathematical formula is what it's turned into that we use because I've learned, especially for me. And I, I think for, for Greg as well, but I have to have a certain amount of what I call Greg days. I have to, I can't, be without him if I haven't had enough of him. So we, we look at that when we're saying, okay, I want this day with this partner. How do you feel about that? And we, we, we evaluate it when either one of us are wanting to schedule a date. Yeah. The poly calendar was her idea and it works so great. I mean, she, it's all written down when we're doing this, how many times we get to do this. And we go to a lot of like BDSM play parties and uh, munches and usually my girlfriend will go with us to those play parties. So that sometimes can be, you know, extra time for me per se, but uh, it just, we have to manage it is basically what we do. It works for sure. Yeah. I think that's a cool strategy. I, I was curious, has, has that realization triggered for you to the, um, sort of the motivation to find and create new time and new activities with each other to, to, to try to build up the, and strengthen between you. So you have more energy than to, to put into your other relationships. Yes, it has. We, we, we take time. Like I like to do rope. So we'll, we'll schedule time for us to, to tie, you know, an hour or so at night and, you know, and that really helps when we have scheduled together time. Sorry, I'm just going to. No, I, I, I think that's, I, I, those are, those are really good close moments that we have um, when we, when we take time to, to, to play in, in, in whatever way together. We also are lucky enough to have a very generous, Greg's mom or my mother-in-law um, is, is very devoted to our son and, and to um, helping to be here when we're not. And she encourages us and helps to make sure we have a date night every pretty much every week we uh, do something together, the two of us. So date night has become vitally important. It, we, we actually have done date night for probably a good eight or 10 years before we, uh, before we opened our marriage. But date night is, is very important for us because we have that dedicated, devoted time where we can just really connect with each other. And then our playtime, which often in, involves rope. Sometimes we'll do some impact play or something else. I'm a, I'm a pretty heavy masochist. And especially when I'm struggling with whatever I'm struggling with, you know, whether it's um, another play partner or just being overwhelmed in my life or s stress and anxiety, um, that play really helps to center and to, to, to help me get through that. I, I've said that it's like a big Very part of it. my mental, my mental health is, um, is, is that play time that we have, but those, those moments are, are good. But we also find that sometimes we just need to actually 
be together doing nothing, um, just resting and relaxing and with no expectations uh, and just sort of being a, 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 being a family or being a couple that just, and, and just spending time together without any pressure. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I wanted to ask too, you know, you have this poly calendar and I'm not sure if like someone had suggested that to you or whatnot, but have you had the discussion with other partners to make sure that they're from, I guess, from their point of view, that their, your relationships with them are also getting enough time? Because I know that that can be hard to balance. And like you said, that you two have a marriage, but you're also wanting to be fair to your other partners. How do you handle that? Well, the, the calendar actually came into play after a very, we've only been keeping track of that since August of last year. And that came after what turned out to be a difficult July. We overextended ourselves um, a little bit that month and we ended up kind of giving away too much of our time. So we started that in August to prevent another rough month and it's worked ever since. As far as making sure our partners uh, get enough get enough of us or get enough time, I'm going to answer first and then I'll let Greg because I think our answers might be a little bit different. Um, I try to avoid with my partners, with probably with the exception of our girlfriend, um, who I am probably of my partners the most I would say in love with. Um, you know, she's she's my girlfriend. She's also a girlfriend, you know, who I, we, we do girly stuff together. We have our own, our own date nights as well. Um, and so I do try to make sure that she gets enough of my time of Greg's time and of our time together. Um, everyone else I've tried to set very, very, very low expectations. Um, I try to make sure that they know that they're, they're not going to get a lot of my time. And I'm lucky enough that the, the, I have, I have, three, uh, three male partners aside from Greg that I spend time with, they are all in committed primary relationships as well. So, and that's something that seems to have worked. The, the relationship that I had that went, didn't, that where the breakup was really tough on me was with a single partner. And I think that's a dynamic that doesn't work well for me. So I actually, in some of those relationships, feel like I have more time to give them than they have to give me at times and vice versa. So um, we, I guess I have tried and now I feel like I've been fairly successful at creating a dynamic with those partners where they don't need me. They don't, they're not dependent on me for emotional support or for a certain amount of time to feel important, they enjoy their time with me. And, 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 and then we, we, we get together, we do our thing and then we go our separate ways. And I'm the total opposite. I have one committed relationship with a single girl and it is a balancing act to give her enough time, but she is so understanding then she knows that and, and I think really truly honestly it all works because of open communication. Like I tell everybody everything. There are no secrets. I don't I don't hide anything and I make sure that she knows I love her and I want to spend time with her, but sometimes we'll go 13 days without seeing each other. But then she does a lot of the same BDSM stuff as us. So I get to see her there and, and I'll get two or three dates a month with her. 
and and they're overnight. So it's a good extended amount of time. And we have a little bit of a distance drive between us. So that keeps it a little harder to see each other too. So it's a, it's a balancing act for sure. And communication truly helps me get through it. And I was not a good communicator before we started all this. And now I kind of over communicate sometimes, but it's, uh, it works for me. And, I, and I she's, was, she's yeah. an amazing person. I, that's what I was going to say too. I mean, I think that you've done a really good job of setting appropriate expectations with her, but she has also done a really good job of not placing demands or not placing expectations that you can't meet. And, and what that's done is it, the, the two of them really have a, a fantastic relationship. And I think that's largely because her not placing those demands and her not placing expectations has made you want to give more. There's no resentment in that relationship. And so she's grateful for the time that she gets. If she feels like she's not getting enough time, she, she will share that, but it's never in a negative way. It's right. always in a way I think that feels positive and makes you just feel wanted and desired as opposed to inadequate. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's true. That perfectly said. And to clarify, this is the same woman, correct? Yes, yes, I know. He keeps, he says his girlfriend, and then we say our girlfriend. Um, We've been with, I, I've been with her for nine months now. Um, yeah, her name, her name's, Kat, her, well, her name is Cavi. Uh, Cavi. Uh, her nickname is Finn. <laughs> but, uh, we, uh, we've been together for eight months, and I was actually, didn't, call myself polyamorous until I met her. I called myself open and she was polyamorous. Molly was polyamorous, but I, uh, when I found her, it just connected. So it's now I see myself as polyamorous and not open. And well, I also wanted to mention that Cavi has been polyamorous herself for a long time. So our, uh, and I guess as you could figure out from my other partners, it's not a closed triad. So Cavi is free to date other people as well. And she's actually taught us, I think, a, a, a good amount about Polly and the different, she, she's well-educated on, on Polly and she's identified as a single polyamorous woman for, I'm not sure the exact length of time, but I know it's, it was it was for quite a while before she met us. So there wasn't that learning curve or that, kind of weird jealousy thing that happens sometimes when single people try to do poly because they've met a partner who's, who is poly, who they, they, they want to make that accommodation for. Uh, she, she, she wasn't, she didn't have that. She came, uh, open to the ideas and, and already with great understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, you've mentioned that you are both seeing this girlfriend, uh, Molly on your end, is your bisexuality something that you've always known or is that something that you've recently discovered through this relationship? Oh, that's a good question. I, uh, it's kind of, and it's a similar answer to us to, to the question on how long I've known I was not a monogamous person. I think it's always been there. And I actually identify, um, as pansexual while I haven't had relationships with non-binary humans. I, um, have always had an attraction to 
gender fluid people, men in makeup, like thing, not just, not just binary. So, um, I, I identify as pansexual, but I didn't, it wasn't something that was ever at the forefront of my mind or that I really explored when we first opened, I identified more as, as straight, as straight. but then I, but then there was a, a girl that I had a couple dates with. I, there, I, at the first munch that we went to, there was a girl who just she just captured me. She caught my attention and I just thought she was so beautiful. And I, I always found women beautiful. I remember that, like always thinking they're just the, the female form was just so, so gorgeous. And, um, she caught my attention and we, she was actually the first date that I, that I went on, but that didn't really, I, it, that was more looking back now, kind of a friendly thing. And then there was a woman who I met probably about six months after we opened who I just, I, I just connected with on pretty much every level. I was just incredibly physically attracted to her and she hadn't been bisexual for very long either. And so we just, it, it, we, I just started exploring that. And, um, I guess, so now to, 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 to shorten my answer, it's always been there, but I didn't always know it was. Yeah. Sure. And, and along those same lines, are there, other things that, that either of you discovered about your sexuality or things you're interested or not interested in that, that, that you discovered uh, through this process of opening up and, and seeing what else was out there? Yeah, I, for me, I always had, like when I would watch porn secretly that Molly didn't know about, it was always about impact play and being beaten. And I would watch Dame stuff and, and, and different things like that. So I, in in the beginning played with a Dame and it was in a non-sexual play, but she helped me explore my masochism. I thought maybe I was a little bit submissive. So I, I was very confused. And, and so I was playing with her and she would treat me like a submissive and probably about the third time, fourth time I was at her house, she told me to do something. I was like, no. And she looked at me and she's like, you're not allowed to do that. I didn't do it. And after a few times, she's like, you're not submissive. You're a masochist. So I didn't really know what that meant, but I explored that and, and found out that I was a masochist, but I was also dominant. And that was really hard for me to wrap my head around because at most of our play parties, you see the men who are getting beaten on, they're truly submissive men. So it was, it was hard for me to figure that out. And once I did and became very okay with it, then I, I blossomed and, and it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And now I'm not really a masochist that much at all. <laughs> I've kind of went away from that, but, and, uh, what else did we, we like? Well, real, real quick, do you mind elaborating on that? Just for, for anybody who's not as familiar with the BDSM world and what, what that terminology means. I, uh, a masochism is someone who enjoys pain. Okay. I truly, I love processing pain. It's, it's, it's something about it. It maybe it's the, I'm trying to get as, the words. As a yeah, so, yeah. I'll jump in and answer. Being for me, my masochism makes me feel powerful. Being able to to right. take on the challenge of 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 pain, process it, and 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 then turn it into pleasure is 
it, it just, it makes me feel powerful. It makes me feel like I can kind of like, I, I can do anything. So I think that might yeah. be kind of part yeah, of it. Exactly. I, I, I can take it and I, I, I don't say word. And I've had people tell me, Oh my God, you're like one of the top five male masochists I've ever met. And I'm like, I just enjoy processing pain. So that's my masochism isn't sexually orientated. It's just about processing the pain. Wow. That's intense. We appreciate the the little dive into it because that's not something that, that either of us really relate to, but it's fascinating. No, so, and I'm so sure a lot of other listeners can relate to it. So yeah, it's good that's to awesome. put out there. Thank you. Yeah, we're very into our BDSM community. We we spend a lot of time going to munches and play parties, and we it's so much fun. We we love it, and that's where. Through the two and a half years, I have found all my play partners from BDSM events. And uh, I don't go looking online or dating sites or anything for play partners because I need that BDSM element in my in my secondaries. Right. One, one thing I was curious about, we've, we've had a, a couple that came on the show a while back that said that... Um, you know, they used to be pretty involved in their kink community, and then when they told people in their kink community that they were non-monogamous or swingers, they were sort of ostracized. And hmm. I'm I'm curious in your community, and this is something that they they touched on too. They said, "Well, we don't we don't think it's that way everywhere, but it was something that happened to us." And I guess in your experience, is that something that like if you were playing and you found out that they were they were people you were with were swingers or is, is that something you've struggled with too, like being polyamorous and in the, the BDSM community or has it been pretty welcoming? Yeah, um, not so much me, but Molly has been. A lot of the women and the slaves in the community kind of are afraid of her stealing their men. Like it's not a lot of them, but that's been really the only pushback we've had is that the, the jealousy of, of stay away from my man because you, you're polyamorous. But what they don't realize is we don't have sex with every single person we see, you know, like just because they're polyamorous doesn't mean that we want to take your master away from you or your boyfriend or whoever you are. And uh, that's probably been the only pushback that I see that we've went is with the women. And, uh, and sometimes I think it it's a, perception as opposed to reality, because there have been, and what Greg's speaking to is the, um, the, the, uh, I guess you could almost say old school. There's a phrase in the, in the BDSM or kink community, the one true way. Um, there's a lot of people who identify as master slave where the slave has no, and, and often the master is the man and the slave is the woman. And she doesn't have the power in the relationship. She's given that up to her man. So in her, if her man wants to play with someone else, she doesn't have a say in that. And so they can sometimes feel threatened. Um, I identify as having a fairly low guilt threshold. So I'm not interested in playing with someone whose partner doesn't want me playing with them. Um, that's something that I screen very, very carefully. And I, I think, uh, my partners who have supportive partners, like, so 
when my metamors are supportive of my relationship, it makes the relationship that much more meaningful and happy for me. Um, and I think over the years, what Greg described, it's we've, we've seen it happen and we do sometimes I can almost feel it instinctively with new people that we meet, but generally, um, I think that we've been around long enough at this point that people know I'm not really interested in I'm, I'm definitely not interested in stealing anyone's man. I, I, I got my own man. <laughs> I really can't do anything with um, with yours if he wants to leave you. Uh, so that's that that has diminished, but it has been a an, an element that we've dealt with to a degree. And plus, one of our rules that we have is we do not play with anybody who's a cheater. If you are not upfront with your partner, we will not do anything with you. So that's, that's an important, like, that's the first thing I ask if I'm talking to somebody new is does your partner know that you are talking to me? Like, do they know that you want to sleep with me or play with me, whatever it is, because I don't do that at all. Yeah. Consent is key in our lifestyle. And the consent isn't just about the, not necessarily just about the two people who are playing, but the others in that relationship. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's that's all makes a lot of sense. And and I appreciate you elaborating on that. And I think Emma does too, because she was a little worried that you were gonna steal me. But, <laughs> yeah. but now she knows that's not your goal. <laughs> so um if we if we can switch gears a little bit, I was curious sure. on navigating polyamory with with children. I know, you know, when this is something that we don't have any experience with. We, we aren't polyamorous and we don't have kids. So <laughs> how, how is it in terms of introducing new partners and is there like a certain amount of time that you typically wait or how do you two handle that? Yeah, we don't bring casual people around, um, but Cabby is we intermingle our families together. So she has a daughter that's 13. I have a, a son that's 15. My oldest son has moved out of the house, so he doesn't really matter, but he's met her too. But we do dinners together. We co-mingle our families. I, I don't want to hide it because I don't really see anything wrong with what we're doing. So, and it's just more people to love you and, they talk and everything like I'll, I'll go to a soccer game of hers and, you know, just stuff. We co-mingle everything. So I, I think we've also tried to slowly normalize it for our children. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult for the older one. Yeah. And the, the, the <laughs> that was a fun conversation. <laughs> the, the young one has special needs and in, which includes, um, limited, uh, um, outbound communication. So he isn't at school talking about mom's boyfriends, but, uh, we've, I, I, we have slowly introduced him to like Greg mentioned, Cabby. He's met a couple of my partners, but, uh, most of them who he's met, it's, they've been introduced just as, as friends. And I'm not certain that he's, uh, knows any, knows any different, um, and if he, if he does, like, for example, if someone spends the night when he's here, it's after a decent amount of time to where he's gotten used to seeing that person. And we've sort of, we've, we've essentially normalized that, uh, our oldest son has not met any of my male partners and he's only met Cabby. And I 
don't, uh, it, that's not something that I think I would want uh, for his, I just don't, for his comfort level, I don't think he would want after, you know, having 19, 19 years of me as his monogamous mother to meet his, to meet some of my male play partners, I think would be extremely uncomfortable for him. So someday in the future that could change because I know he, he is aware and I think he is gaining a comfort level with our lifestyle, but that that's a little too much, I think in, in his face where for the, for our younger son, he's, you know, seeing the day to day because he's, he's living here. So it's a little bit more comfortable or normalized for him. Yeah. It was uh, Sunday. He lives about an hour and a half uh, drive from us. And we went to his house and he's telling me about this bar he went to. And he's like, and dad, it's a swingers bar too. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Like it, it seems like he wants to talk to me about it, but I just let him, let him lead with the conversations because when I did, he was like, dad, too much. Nope. That's too much. Stop. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> so he, so he knows, but it's not something that he, you guys talk about on the regular. It's, it's sort right. Of right. Okay. He knows and he'll ask a couple little things, but yeah, I don't, I don't push it on him at all. So, yeah. Are you two out, I guess, to the rest of your family friends? Like how has that mm-hmm. um, come about as you've opened up your marriage? <laughs> it's, it's funny. That's another one with a different answer for, for Greg and for me. Um, my, uh, we're, we're not open to or out to my family. Um, my family is mostly comprised of varying levels of devout Christians. And I, I don't have any shame or I, you know, I identify as a Christian as well, but this is the way that God created me. Um, and I, uh, and my, my mother, for example, would try to fix me and it would crush her. So she doesn't know. Um, Greg's mom, on the other hand, um, actually <laughs> babysits Cavi's dogs while we go to play parties at times. And um, she's very much a, a aware of our relationship with Cavi. Um, the, the first, I think the yeah. first time she asked, she said, so where did she sleep? And the answer is she slept in our bed. Um, but she also has has uh, uh, caught me, so to speak, through <laughs> through a um, a timing mistake that I made um, with one of my male play partners. And she, Greg's mom, is just one of the coolest people ever. She just rolled with it. So we're we're out to some of our friends, some yep. of our family, but not all of them. Yeah, and and it was funny. I uh, my my cabbie got me a shirt that said. I love my wife and we love our girlfriend. And so we went to rope practice and I put it on and not thinking. And I came home and I'm sitting there talking to my mom and she's looking down at my shirt, looking up at me, looking down at my shirt, looking up at me. And she didn't say a word, but I knew she read it. And I was like, Oh, uh, uh, all right, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Well, I, I think we covered a lot of amazing ground. Um, one one thing that we love to to talk about, if you're willing to, is how do the three or four or five or six of you keep yourself safe? And whether it's, you know, I guess, yeah, just in general, how uh, your sexual safety or being in the BDSM world, that's also something that to consider. Well, no, sexually, we test on the regular every every and we demand that 
anybody we play with have a current STD test. Um, if you don't want an STD test, then that's fine. We don't need to play. Uh, I test every six months and we do it on intervals. So she tests every six months and cabbie tests every six months, but they're all staggered. We wear protection with anybody who we're not fluid bonded with, which is basically everybody but cabbie right now. And, uh, oh, and Jim, but, uh, and Mike. Yeah. But uh we 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 pretty much testing, testing, testing. And that's and at first that was a really hard conversation for me to have with partners. That for some reason it was just one of those uh awkward like uh will you take a test? Yeah, you know, but now I'm like, do you do S T D test? No? Okay, well, you know, if you don't want to go, it takes ten minutes and you know. Uh, it's... So, so we, to, to answer the question, we have the awkward conversations with all of our partners, whether we intend to fluid bond or not. Uh, and if we do make the decision to fluid bond with a partner, it's something that we both agree on. And we have conversations where we review the risk and, and, and analyze it and say, you know, is it, and that's assuming that the partner wants to fluid bond. I've um, had a Two, at least two partners in the last year who both have just not wanted that. And that was fine. I still expect it's, you know, somewhat recent testing from them because, you know, condoms aren't a hundred percent reliable. So, um, and I, I just, from a education and comfort standpoint, I think testing is good, whether you're fluid bonded or not. Yeah. And do you, what, do you also have the question, like, let's say you're talking about fluid bonding with a new partner do you then have the conversation with all of your other partners that you're fluid bonded with? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Everybody knows that when, if I'm fluid, fluid bonding with somebody, I will tell everybody else. So it's very, we have to be open to be safe. And, and Cavi has to have the conversations with anybody she is going to play with whether she fluid bonds or not. And she knows that she's expected to have them have recent tests too. I mean, she's turned down people because they won't test. So it's, 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 it's a, it's a horrible, not a horrible, it's an awkward conversation, but we all have to be safe. Well, another, another way that I want to answer the question is because we are part of a community, we're part of the, the kink community. Um, we have in individual and, and collective reputations to protect. So in the community, it doesn't matter, you know, how much, how much money you make, where you come from it, your, your reputation or your name are, are really all you have in that community. And, if you go around, you know, being unsafe and spread something as a result of that, your reputation is at stake. And we, it, it, especially I think for, uh, you know, a guy who doesn't always, men in general don't always find the same level of acceptance. I don't think that women do. Um, it's very, very important to protect that. Yeah. I, I guard my name very, very in the community, very yeah. carefully. Yeah. I don't, want to ever ruin my name. And so, especially the, uh, our community is so small too. Um, if you do something in, you know, an hour North people hear about it two hours South and there's not all these little communities you can go to. It's just, if you screw up once, you can really ruin your name. So we, uh, another way Greg has um, kept us safe is he's forbid me from ten, Tinder dating. 
I'm not allowed to date because if you, you know, you, you, you go with, you know, with people who maybe are even more open than we are, um, then, uh, they, and, and they pass something along, then they, they can just disappear on you without any repercussions where, like we said in the community, there, there are repercussions because your reputation is at stake. But yeah, I, not, uh, not to say that I had any interest in Tinder dating, but that was something he huh. said early on, this isn't going to happen. I, I am, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not going to do the hookup thing. No hookups. Right. Well, and I think, you know, the, the social pressure is, is good. And it's also just, you don't you don't want to harm anybody, right? And you don't want to harm yourselves. Right. And, and I think it was a good point, too, that you brought up that it doesn't matter how rich and powerful you are, you're not invincible. And so no. thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a elite status type person, well, you, you're just as susceptible as anybody else. So I yep. think that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that we may have missed that you two wanted to chime in with? Just that it's really, our relationship is so much stronger now than it was before we opened. And we've always had a good relationship, but I, the love that I feel from her and and the love that I give to her, I, I think I have, I work harder now that we're open than I did when we were monogamous. Monogamy is kind of easy. I mean, you know that she's coming home, you know, I'm coming home and everybody's just doing their thing. But when, when somebody else is taking your wife out for, for, uh, dinner, you, you kind of, ah, I got to step my game up a little bit. I think it keeps me on my toes. It's like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it really helps me just keep on my toes and keep her happy and make sure she knows I love her. I think that's a great, I guess, tidbit too. Because yeah. you didn't, you don't often think about that. But yeah, you're you you're kind of not competing, but you're, I guess, yeah, you want to keep up with. Got to keep your tools sharp. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, another thing we do is we try and have what we call reconnection days. So we try and do a lot of our dating on the same evenings, and so when we somebody's not home alone or somebody's not getting more dates. I mean, Polly's never equal. Like we've never had it to where we're both equal and we're both having fun at the same time. Sometimes hers is better than mine. Sometimes mine's better than hers. But when one of us comes back the next evening, we really, really, really try and we call them reconnection days and make sure we do something with each other where we reconnect and show our love to each other. And that's something I think that has helped us through our journey a lot too, is just having those days to show our love. Yeah, no, I think that's a great, a great tip and something that I think even monogamous people could uh, take a cue from. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Another thing I just thought of was one of the things that we decided, uh, I think it was almost inadvertently early on was that we were going to try to find a reason to say yes rather than a reason to say no. So if one of us wanted something and our instinct was to say, no, I don't want you to have, I don't want you to have that thing. Um, we would take a step back and look at it and say, well, why don't I want him to have that thing? How is that going to harm me or our primary relationship? And so we work to try and always say yes. And, um, you know, we've heard of other contracts where certain things were maybe restricted gifts was an example. And, you know, we talked about that. Are we going to allow secondaries to, to give us gifts? 
And we decided that that there was no, there was no harm in that. I, I'm, I'm not going to leave him because someone bought me something fancy um, and, and vice versa. So I, I, I'll never forget this. The first gift that either one of us got was a box of chocolate chip cookies from his girlfriend. <laughs> and I remember thinking how special of a gift that was and that how, how poorly I would have felt if we said no gifts and therefore he couldn't have that little token of love and appreciation that I thought was so sweet of her, of her to do. Um, and we, um, I, I call Greg daddy. Um, and he, he calls me baby girl. We have a, a, a dynamic there that, that we share. And there was a, another man who I had a, a dynamic where I wanted to call him daddy as well. And I remember very nervously asking Greg how he felt about that. You know, are, are you going to be okay with another man with me calling another man daddy? And, uh, he took some time and careful consideration and decided that he couldn't come up with a reason why that was going to be a problem. And I remember uh, that that's another one of those special moments that I remember is the look on that man's face when I said, yes, I am allowed to call you daddy. Um, and, and, and the, the, those, those special moments, because we work to say yes, instead of trying, instead of just saying no, or, you know, deciding that our own, you know, putting our own fears or jealousies first, um, in, instead of the, you know, feelings of our, each other or secondaries really uh, is something that I've taken a lot of pride in. And I'm, I'm really happy that we did. Can I compound on that too? Sure. I, I to always, you know, we say we always want to try and say yes. And sometimes I would say yes when I should have said no. And so I have learned through the last couple of years that I won't say yes or no right away. I will take some time and think about it. If it's a day, if it's an hour, if it's two days, however long it takes me to analyze the situation, because I have said yes a couple times just to try and be that, that good partner that, that, yeah, I got your back. Good game and giving as, as uh, some people say, but uh, I've learned that I need to take my time and actually think it through and make sure that me wanting to say yes is the right thing for me. And so that's been a huge, huge for me because I'm always the yes for everything. Oh yes, I can do it. I can do this. I can do that for you. Sometimes to a detriment, I'm uh, very helpful for anybody who will ask me, will you help me roof my house? Yes, <laughs> but I, you don't have time. So that's just who I am. So that was a good thing for me to learn. Right. And we, we learned that the hard way because you did a couple of times, he would say, yeah, go ahead and do that. And then whatever it was, that I had asked permission for and then, and then been granted had such a negative effect on him that it had a negative effect on the relationship and it negated any of the good that I was trying to get out of whatever it was I was asking for. So, and I think there have been a couple of times where it's been that way for me too. I've said yes. And then I thought, well, what, why did I say yes to that? I'm not going to be okay with that. And then we're both going to suffer for it. Yeah. I think that's a really good point to bring up because that's something that I actually, I try to live by with life too. It's, it's life in general saying yes to as many things as I can, but not saying yes until you're sure it's a yes. And even if it's a little scary, but thinking through it all, but it, it just keeps, I think that mindset tends to keep you more positive too. Um, so thank you for sharing that. No problem. Um, the other, I guess, kind of last question, I think, 
moving forward, do either of you two see a future where you might go back to a monogamous relationship, or do you think you will continue down this route and don't see an end in sight? Or do you, or do you see the, the strategy, the dynamic shifting in any way? Well, the, the first question is, no, I don't see us ever being monogamous. Uh, I don't see me ever be, as much as I did not want to be non-monogamous, I can't see myself monogamous again ever. Um, I think she feels the same way. And the dynamics, I it's fluid. Like she said, if she meets somebody that she falls in love with, then maybe she'll call herself polyamory. If the cabbie girl hurts my hurts me and I turn um, just open and I don't want relationships anymore. I just want to play. And so uh, it's uh, I see that being fluid, but I never see myself being monogamous again because it's just, it's too rewarding and, and too uh, so much love. I feel every day I feel love from all different angles and it's an amazing feeling. And I, I think um, also in, in terms of the fluid dynamic or, you know, what not non-monogamous polyamorous open, you know, that one of, one of the things that I've kind of learned along the way is I used to put people in boxes, so to speak. I wanted to find a sadistic daddy that would offer me a certain type of dynamic, or I wanted to find someone who would check off these boxes. And I found myself often disappointed. So I've learned to just, it, it went, the, the people that I meet and connect with well that I want to explore with, I try to keep my mind as open to whatever possibilities that relationship can offer me and just see where it goes. So if that leads, if that shifts me as a person a little bit, as long as I still feel like things are good and things are healthy, I'm, I stay open to any and all possibilities. Yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that. And thank you both for sharing everything with us tonight. I appreciate it. And well, we appreciate it. And I it appreciate was it too. wonderful to get to know both of you some more. Yeah. And well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. We like, we love talking about this stuff. We really do. We're like poly geeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, real quick, one, one last thing I, I forgot to say. Sure. We actually were, had a lady who does munches a couple hours north of us kind of hear about us and ask us to do a poly discussion group at her munch. So we, and I am terrified of talking in front of people. I can do this all day long, but talking in front of people, but we did a two and a half, two, no, two hour discussion group on polyamory at a munch and got questions thrown at us. And it was actually very rewarding for me because it, it crossed a fear off of talking in front of people and and it was a lot of fun i i really enjoyed it and we had so much positive feedback from our talk that it was it was just really really good for us yeah and no, i think that's amazing and i think it's i think you'll find too that it this, this is rewarding right i mean putting, oh, yeah. putting this out there and we'll get feedback and we'll we'll share that feedback with you as it comes in because we inevitably we get feedback on every episode that it's, it's helped somebody. And I think that's the amazing thing about doing this and getting 
getting as many stories out there as we can because there's always going to be somebody who relates to something that you said, and and that's powerful. Yeah, exactly. And I guess on that note, if you are someone that's listening and you can relate to this, let us know because it really means a lot, and it means a lot to the um, people that like you two who volunteer to come on the show and share their stories. So yeah. uh, just hopefully just keep spreading the word. Yeah. Well, that, that's why I reached out to you guys because I, I came across. I think I heard your you you guys on on a podcast. So I switched over to your podcast and I started listening to it. And the thing I loved about your podcast over all the other ones was that they were just everyday people, normal people. It wasn't it wasn't sex educators all the time. It wasn't this professional dame or this or that. It was, uh, I listened to a lot of kink podcasts, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, I loved yours because it was just everyday normal people that who were open and listening to their problems and their positives and all their different things about non-monogamy. I really, I've gotten hooked on it. So I just listened to every one of them. <laughs> oh, well, thank we, you. Thank you for that. And we appreciate it. And that's, that's a, a call out to all the normal people out there to reach out to us. Yeah, you'll probably get asked to come on the show. <laughs> and in the meantime, we will let you get back to your evening and we will get back to ours and we will invite you to come on the show again absolutely in the future because yeah. we got a lot out of this and, and we look forward to keeping in touch. So th- thank you again. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. This was great. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Wonderful. Have a wonderful evening. You too. All right, funny one. (laughs) What what do you got to say? I'm not interrupting you one bit. I'm not speaking the rest of the outro. Yes, you will. I know you. I'm waiting for it. Well, thanks to Molly and Greg. We had an awesome time chatting with them, and it's really appreciate that they reached out and talked to us. Nothing? I'm not interrupting. You're not. That wasn't interrupting. Yeah. Thank you to them. And we do have an episode next week. We'll tell you about that in T minus one minute or less. I was going to say less we, than that. We wanted to first recommend if you're looking to meet other open minded people, open relationship people, mm-hmm. check out the new app, hashtag open. We interviewed the founders of the app, hashtag open, on episode 53. Go back and check that out and download their app. Yes, do that. Next week, we have a very serious interview with a couple from next door. Yes, Jay and Kay from the podcast, That Couple Next Door. Yeah, I was going to say you were supposed to correct me and say they are that couple next door. I thought you were the funny one. I wanted to get their names in there. So. (laughs) We're we're not. (laughs) This is good. We're doing really good here. (laughs) Really nailing it. So. I am the funny one, if, by the way. If you're I'm also the sweet one and the nice one and the compassionate one. If you're still listening, <laughs> if you're still a subscriber to the show after this week, uh, check that out next week. It's a fun interview. We get some cool insights. We even hear about the, the big uh, sarong bra. Yes. So that's exciting. Uh, so, yeah, come back, listen to us in a week, and we will see you then. Bye, everyone.